So, welcome everyone. Oops, got to turn this on. <laughs> All these things to remember. Okay. Okay. Oh, it's too loud, I think. I'm getting feedback. Is that okay? Can you hear? Okay. <clears throat> So I know Dave's already warmly welcomed everybody, and now it's my turn (laughs) to warmly welcome you. Um, A lot of familiar faces and a few new ones. It's great to see each of you and all of you. At the beginning of a retreat, it's been a little while since I've taught, and uh, there's this feeling of joy, a lot of joy coming up. To be here with each of you and to enter into uh, a special time together for 18 days. It's really quite unique and special uh, to do this in our culture, as you well know, it's not uh, a regular occurrence for just about anybody. So what I'd like to do now is just uh, everybody relax and close your eyes, settle in, and we'll sit together for about five minutes. Arrive in your seat, in your body, your heart, your mind. Gently gathering in your attention. Feeling yourself sitting, whole body, and receiving the sensations of the breath in a very simple, easy way.
And so we enter into retreat, each one alone, and also all of us together. And we're creating, or we could say co-creating, a temporary village, a temporary spiritual practice community. We, we come together, as one of my Burmese teachers says, as a Dhamma family. As we begin this period of our commitment to exploring and cultivating and deepening our inner life. Over these next 18 days, we'll be expanding and deepening our capacity for a focused, concentrated attention. And for some of you, this may include the possibility of moving towards or maybe moving into the absorption of jhana. Our Samatha practice also very much includes a growing intuitive sense of the conditions that are necessary for the blossoming of clear insight into the nature of things. I think it's fair to say that for many people there's just a tremendous amount of time and energy spent, or maybe more accurately, expended cultivating an outer life. Doing things, producing things, acquiring things, going places, being somebody, being something. These next 18 days will be quite special and unique in that none of this is really important. Nor will any of it be asked of you in the ordinary ways of the seeming requirements and expectations of the world. Whether you've engaged in this particular way of practicing previously or if this approach to concentration, particularly concentration practice, is relatively new for you, you very likely know the experience that arises for many of us at the onset of a retreat. The sense of entering into sacred space and time. The sense of entering into a kind of sanctuary both within our surroundings and within ourselves. And for me, whether I'm entering into the teaching mode or beginning a period of intensive personal practice, there's always this feeling in my heart of stepping into sacred time and sacred space, both inwardly and in relationship to my surroundings. And in this case, in relationship to all of you. 
It's really a beautiful and precious footstep that we're each and all taking. Here at the lodge, at San Geronimo Lodge, we're in the midst of the obvious beauty and sacredness of all of the life surrounding us. And also the incredible diversity and natural rhythms of life happening here. Changes in the light, for instance. Dark to light, back again to light to dark, back and forth. The weather, late fall here in northern New Mexico, with its myriad manifestations and many, many changes. All the forms of life, the community of beings that we share this place with. Many birds, insects, and various other creatures. The trees, and all of the various manifestations of plant plant life here. And the air itself. The natural world, so close around us, so easily available to connect with. It's a great gift that we're not separate from, a gift that holds us in itself. This natural world is a very fine teacher of the sacred and the perfectly natural fluidity of diversity and change that just simply is. So it's a mirror, really, of the truth of ourself, our nature as nature. And we might consider that nature is no problem to itself. It's no problem to itself in itself. And so we can learn from this mirror of naturalness, the just-isness, the just-beingness, the absolutely open-hearted presence, so to say, of this perfectly natural world. For many of us, one aspect of our human experience includes a natural and often a quite easy open-hearted connection in moments of simple, clear presence when we take the time to really, truly arrive and be. To just simply be. So for instance, maybe today, with the late afternoon light, and maybe tomorrow, or another morning with the early morning sunrise, the changing sky colors at the close of a day, or seeing the particulars of how late fall just simply displays itself in small and in larger ways. And of course, along with any of this, moments of silent, simple, clear presence in our body, 
heart, and mind any time of the day, any time of the night. One day in the 92nd year of her life, my mother stopped for a few moments during our daily out-of-doors walk. And she stooped over, looking very long and silently at a, a flower that was really full in its blooming, very full in its liveliness. And after a couple of moments... She just simply said with great reverence, it's great to be alive. And probably to each one of us has come some unexpected or unsuspected and maybe even exceptional moments during times of a clear, simple, unfettered attention. Moments that we could call spiritual attention. And for many of us, the natural world is often the place where this happens for us most easily, at least at first. As the days of this retreat unfold, you'll be learning how to develop, purify, and focus this simple, clear, unfettered attention. One of the wonderful things about being here at the Lodge is that there's quite a degree of accumulated energy. All of the people who have come here to learn and to practice, many of you in this very room, been here many times. All of the those who have come here to do inner work, to explore the nature of things, all of the teachings that have been offered here and all of the various teachers who have offered them. It's a gift of symbiotic and ever-expanding energy that we're partaking of and that we're adding to. So really, how fortunate that we're here, all of us. During these retreat days, we have the great gift of being taken care of in a beautiful and very simple way. All of our basic needs being met. While you're here, life is pared down, it's simplified from your usual daily life activities, demands, and seeming needs. There's really not much to do over these next 18 days. Sitting, walking, eating, hearing, spending a little bit of time each day with your yogi job, Sleeping, not too much. (laughs) And most importantly, relaxing and diligently learning to cultivate a clear and mindful focus of attention. 
So compared to the ways of the world, there's really not very much to do over these next weeks, which is a very good thing to remember. Because some of you may have such a strong habit of keeping busy that you may just go on creating all sorts of things to do just simply out of habit. And our mind is, I think it's fair to say, it's sometimes kind of like a junkyard. (laughs) Meaning that there's really quite a lot of rubbish that we put into and store in our mind. Various conversations from maybe years ago or yesterday or today. Magazine articles. Myriad stuff online from the computer, and all sorts of entertainments. We just pour it all in. Someone once told me that (coughs) there was a veritable jam session, as she said, going on in her mind. And the problem is that actually all of this renders us very tired, quite exhausted, actually. And then, of course, there's the worldly work that you do, both to make a living and your volunteer work, which may be compassionate and creative work. But if we don't take time to replenish We can give out, no matter how good and how fulfilling our work is. The more usual ways of replenishing and rejuvenating and resting, such as maybe watching television or something on the computer or going out somewhere, really none of these are truly rejuvenating. They don't really give us a real rest. In fact, even sleep doesn't really give the mind a truly true rest. For genuine deep relaxation and rejuvenation, we need to give our mind, our heart, some inner space clear out the junkyard, quiet the inner noise. And the way to do this is to keep the mind, keep the attention purely in the moment in a very simple way. This is what's healing and is really the best rest for the mind and the heart the mind and the body relaxed, alert, focused. With even just a few moments of this, one feels refreshed, 
clear-minded, more wakeful. And so we begin our retreat learning and practicing towards keeping the mind focused in the moment with the attention purely and simply on the sensations of the in-breath and the out-breath in the area of the nostrils. A wonderfully simple, though not always so easy, approach to training the mind to be and to stay in the moment. So in light of all of this, one of the things that we're practicing while we're here in retreat is renunciation. And in this case, meaning letting go of busyness, letting go of the usual distractions that you engage in to try to relax out of all of the busyness. This is one of the great gifts of renunciation. Really simplifying our life and just simply being. Not becoming anything or anybody. And not filling up the mind with more stuff. But rather just simply being. And directly connecting with your experience of the very simple sensations of the breath, just as it is in the moment, however it is in the moment. And so we begin together in this sanctuary, this place of safety and protection, this place that holds and engenders deep respect and acceptance. What a great and valuable gift you've given to yourself and that you also give to each other simply by being here practicing together in this extended Dhamma family. I think for just about everyone there are various mental and physical states that come up at the onset of a retreat. Excitement. Maybe some nervousness or worry. Delight. Very possibly varying degrees of expectation. Maybe a sense of relief. This, ah, last I'm in retreat feeling. So there's lots of energy moving through one's body and mind and heart. Even for people who have sat many, many retreats. Because each retreat is unpredictable in the unique ways that it will unfold. For me in teaching or beginning a time of personal retreat, many of these very same flavors of energy move through my body and mind and heart. It's just how human nature works. 
as we enter into something new. And how very fortunate it is that we're embodied as we are in this human form, this precious human existence, making it possible to practice, possible to be able to look within and to cultivate a pure, concentrated and balanced mind and heart rooted in kindness, rooted in compassion and in wisdom. We're actually a minority, a small minority on this earth, in this universe, and of course who knows beyond. So if you think about it for a minute, there are more than 11 million species living on this planet. 11 million. And if you just consider one grouping, insects, just one grouping. A friend here in Taos who owns and runs a plant nursery told me that there are 200 million bugs, as she put it, per human on the planet. So really, how fortunate we are to be embodied in the way that we are. This human mind, heart, and body are really the most conducive towards developing the purity of a concentrated mind rooted in kindness, compassion, joy, equanimity, and the great gift of wisdom because because of the particular mixture that each one of us has of both pleasure and pain. There's just enough of each. And certainly sometimes a little more of one and sometimes a little more of the other. At times maybe great huge handfuls of one and seemingly not much, if any, of the other. But the truth is, if we're all really present in our life, it changes. It changes back and forth, back and forth within a week, daily, within moments. So really, this human realm that we find ourselves in offers the best conditions that we could ask for. This is the place. This rare and precious human realm that we very fortunately find ourselves in. It's said that if the world were water and a wooden ring, one foot in diameter, was thrown upon the water and blown about by the winds, that a blind turtle, surfacing once every hundred years, would put its neck through this wooden ring more easily 
then one can obtain a precious human existence. We really are a rare species within the enormous breadth of the forms of life on this planet. The ancient texts tell us that those who have a precious human existence with all of the conditions, opportunities and blessings in place to meet the Dhamma and to practice the Dhamma, to practice the purification of the mind and heart, to practice the way of truth and wisdom, that these beings are as rare as daytime stars. So, here all of us are. We're all here. With all of the conditions and the blessings in place. And a wonderful 18-day opportunity ahead of us. A time of cultivation and discovery. A time of Exploration, purification, surprise, and understanding, which some of the time may not be so easy and may at times even be quite challenging. But all the while, your time here very much includes the real potential of bringing forth experiences of deep relaxation, calm, tranquility, joy, happiness, equanimity, and illumination. As we enter into this period of sustained practice, there are a few specific supports that are very readily available for you. So now I'd like to spend uh, a brief, take a brief look at these with you. Your first support is the wonderful gift of silence. This silence that very gently holds us in itself. Silence is really quite amazing in certain ways. It doesn't expect anything. It doesn't judge. Silence is infinitely patient, boundlessly spacious, open, allowing, accepting. This container, if you will, of silence that has no boundaries and that everything comes out of and returns to. And of course... Within the silence, there are sounds, all kinds of sounds that arise and pass. At times you'll hear the sound of my voice, possibly occasionally other voices. You might hear sighs, maybe cries, maybe laughs, certainly coughs and sneezes and the sounds of moving bodies. Maybe an occasional roar of engines. The sound of bells and birds. 
maybe dogs and possibly other creatures. The sounds of wind and other weather sounds. All kinds of sounds arising and passing in the midst of silence. And sometimes we interpret sound as noise. It's important to note that this is an interpretation and to notice it. Is this or that sound noise? What happens if it's interpreted as noise? Are you relaxed? Is your heart open to simply hearing, simply receiving the sound? Or is there a contraction, some form of aversion, resistance, the irritation of being disturbed. If it's just a sound, our relationship to it is basically one of relaxed acceptance, just simply and directly hearing, which may be accompanied with a simple pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling tone. And of course, we're not always uh, in this relationship to sound. So with an open heart and an open mind, just mindfully notice your response or your reaction to sound and noticing it without judgment in the midst, midst of silence. Sometimes within the silence of a retreat, it feels as though all of the windows of the world, all of the windows of the universe, of life itself, have been thrown wide open within us. When this is our experience, there can be a sense of freshness and beauty an inner sense of very open-hearted receptivity, stillness, and fresh clarity, as though it's having been let in. Many people find this support of silence in retreat to be one of the most precious aspects of retreat time. I've been told this numerous times. Why? I think it's because silence holds everything but doesn't hold on to anything. Everything just simply and naturally comes and goes in the spacious, patient acceptance of silence. And again, the key here is that you don't have to be anybody. You really don't have to be anybody special. You don't have to present yourself. You don't have to be a a somebody or become 
a somebody. You just simply be. And it's a great relief to just simply be. Silence is where we learn to sense, see, and truly know our experience. In this respectful, supportive, and beautiful container of silence lies the possibility for the boundless blossoming of our practice. So our first support, silence. And I always like to take some time uh, at the onset of a retreat uh, to talk about it because there's so much more to it than just not talking. Our second support that is here for us is taking refuge. And of course, people take refuge in all kinds of things, in various things on the physical plane, and in all sorts of ideas and beliefs and conjectures on the mental plane. And we could, we could call this virtual refuge, which creates really only virtual happiness in this constantly changing ephemeral world. So what does taking refuge mean in the context of supporting our practice? Various ways that we might recognize and experience refuge in this context is as a place of shelter, a place of protection and safety, a sacred space and place, as I've already mentioned in relationship to being here in retreat. Some years ago I found a dictionary definition of refuge. It said, a port of shelter to vessels in stormy weather, which I think we can probably all relate to uh, as actually being quite appropriate, an appropriate metaphor in relationship to some periods of our practice. Refuge is also experienced as a place of strength and clarity within our own mind and heart. And also may reflect the strength and clarity of those around us. Our teachers and our spiritual friends who are on the path with us. So in the context of the Dhamma, we take refuge in what are spoken of as the three jewels. And the first, of course, being the Buddha, which for many people means the historical Buddha, Gautama Buddha, taking refuge in what we could call our Buddha. For instance, we can reflect on the purity of the Buddha's heart and mind. A heart and mind that is free from anguish and confusion, having let go of the pervasive and sticky sense of dissatisfaction or dukkha that incessantly plagues just about everybody. So in this light we might reflect 
on the great and amazing accomplishments of the Buddha. These reflections actually can help us to bring inspiration and energy into our practice. And lastly, an important aspect, I feel, uh, of taking refuge in the Buddha is that we're taking refuge in our own true nature, our own innate awakened state. And the fact that essentially we're not separate from this. So from this particular perspective, taking refuge in the Buddha is a symbol of faith. Faith in our deepest and our most expansive potential. And the second jewel that we take refuge in is the Dhamma, meaning taking refuge in what is actually true, moment to moment to moment. Taking refuge in the way of things and in the teachings of this way, the teachings of the Buddha. And so we align ourselves with the cultivation of a concentrated, direct, and powerful, mindful awareness in order to sense, see, and know how it really is. And in the process, we quite naturally begin to drop our expectations and drop our habitual patterns of seeing and knowing. So that's the second jewel, the Dhamma. The third jewel that we take refuge in is the Sangha. And that word is usually translated as community. Traditionally and historically, In Buddhism, the Sangha has been the monastic community of monks and nuns. Since the time of the Buddha, and up until relatively recent times, it's primarily been the monastic Sangha who have held and offered the teachings and the practices. And really, truly, if it wasn't for this monastic Sangha over the centuries, none of us would be sitting here together in this way this evening. In more recent history, the Sangha has come to mean not only the monastic Sangha, but also the Sangha or the community of lay Dhamma teachers and also lay practitioners. So all of us, both monastic and lay people, right here, right now, this community, this Sangha, that we're taking refuge in. There are times for me when taking refuge in the Sangha that I have a sense of the incredibly vast expanse of human beings in this world, both past and present that I'm connected to through this process of awakening. A sense of connection and unity that brings faith and 
inspiration for me in relationship to this process. And it brings faith in myself, helps to bring faith in myself as I engage in the process. Another really beautiful aspect of taking refuge in Sangha is that we're taking refuge in each other. Right here and now. The support, encouragement, and inspiration that we receive from and that we give to each other. Really so very necessary on this amazing, powerful, and sometimes difficult journey. We need Sangha. We need the support and the inspiration and the strength of community to engage in and to continue along the journey. So taking refuge, the great gift of support as you practice together through this retreat, the beautiful gift of refuge in the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. The next support for us as we move into the retreat mode is the practice of sila, a Pali word that is often translated as virtue, meaning living ethically in relationship to all forms of life, living with a very deep moral sensitivity and respect towards and with all forms of life, including with oneself. And the Buddha offered these particular teachings and these practices as precepts or guidelines, meaning that they're not rigid rules laid on us from the outside, but rather the ground of our life as practice. The ground of our life is practice. That's really what sila is. Here in retreat and in our life outside of the retreat setting. The overall underlying principle of each and all of these precepts is non-harming. With the attention, or the intention, excuse me, with the intention and the practice being to connect to all forms of life with deep respect and a caring heart, honoring life in all forms, and then to act from this place. And of course, any one of the guidelines or precepts might light up as a point of practice for us in any moment during this retreat. When this shows up for us in relationship to maybe something we've done or something we've said or even just something, a thought that has happened in the mind, it really offers us an opportunity to extend our practice of focused attention and mindfulness into this particular moment 
of experience. I'd like to share a poem with you uh, from Galway Canal, his very unique way of writing about this sort of thing. He called this one, When One Has Lived a Long Time Alone. When one has lived a long time alone, one refrains from swatting the fly and lets him go and hesitates to strike the mosquito, though more than willing to slap the flesh under her. And one lifts the toad from the pit too deep to hop out of and carries him to the grass without minding the poisoned urine he slicks his body with. And one envelops in a towel the swift who fell down the chimney and knocks herself against the window glass and releases her outside and watches her fly free. A lifeline flung at reality when one has lived a long time alone. There's a great beauty and ease that resides in the heart, in the mind, and in the body with living ethically. During the years that I was practicing with Saida Upandita, every time I went into the house where he was staying for my practice interviews with him, I was gently but quite profoundly struck by the energy of freshness, lightness, and beauty and ease that pervaded the space and pervaded his persona. Really the fruits of a long life deeply imbued with sila. As our practice deepens and matures, we come to understand what brings happiness, contentment, and ease on deepening levels, and what brings suffering and confusion, what brings dis-ease. This is the ground of what allows our practice of concentration to take hold, evolve, and blossom. I'd like to share a particular rendition of the Refuges and the Precepts with you at this point. Um, This is uh, from a woman who many of you probably have heard of and maybe some know, named Stephanie Kaza. And she wrote this when she was living at the Zen, uh, Zen Center, Green Gulch Farm. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow not to kill. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow not to take what is not given. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow not to engage in abusive relationships. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow not to speak falsely or deceptively. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow not to harm self 
or others through poisonous thought or substance. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow not to dwell on past errors. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow not to speak of self separate from others. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not possess anything or form of life selfishly. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not harbor ill will toward any plant, animal, or human being. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, we vow to not abuse the great truth of the three treasures, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. During this retreat, we'll chant the Refuges and Precepts together on Dhamma Talk evenings, just prior to the Dhamma Talk. And I won't be offering a Dhamma Talk every evening. There'll be a a little uh, information piece up on the bulletin board probably sometime tomorrow regarding when there will be Dhamma Talks and when there won't be. And just a, a... Uh, a little bit about that. I don't offer Dhamma Talks every evening with this kind of a retreat because people need to have some longer, uninterrupted time for practice. An evening uh, can be a very good uh, time for that. So we only have Dhamma Talks once in a while. So we'll take the precepts uh, and the refuges just before Dhamma Talks on Dhamma Talk evenings and we'll take the five precepts and then I'll go on to offer uh, the eight precepts if there's anyone who's interested in taking them. And any of you are welcome actually to try practicing with eight precepts for any amount of time during this retreat if you would like to. So this evening, at the end of this talk, we are doing it at the end instead of before with this one, uh, we'll take the five precepts, and maybe for some of you, and you'll let me know when the time comes, if you want to take the eight precepts, and then we'll go on with the uh, other three. At this point, I'd like to offer you just a few very practical guidelines in relationship to inner and outer silence and for practice overall during this retreat. So the first one, not purposely making eye contact, unless, of course, it's appropriate in any specific circumstance. And the reason for this is it's a way that we really respect and honor your own, you really respect and honor your own and others' inner work. As I'm sure each of you know, eye contact can be a very powerful form of communication, which could very quickly and easily distract us from practice. The second uh, uh, practical uh, guideline is... um, Please keep any daily writing to a bare minimum. Or possibly not doing it at all. It's quite okay, very quite okay, to make a few practice notes. That's fine. 
but let go of doing long journal entries or writing your next the chapter of your next your next chapter of your book or your greatest poem on earth <laughs> it's really not helpful in a retreat such as this to do that and the last one is it's helpful to not read books to not read magazines during this retreat so not filling up the mind there's already plenty in there so all of these wonderful supports here for you here for us all of us throughout these 18 days the simplicity of life here in retreat the ambiance and the availability of the natural world surrounding us here the silence refuge in the three jewels the buddha the dhamma and the sangha and the five or eight precepts guidelines for living life here in retreat together In closing the talk this evening, I'd like to um share some excerpts from a book called Conversations with Nadia Bolanger. Nadia was a French composer and a conductor and a teacher who taught many of the leading uh composers and musicians of the 20th century and she also performed uh as a pianist and an organist and so here's just a few excerpts from this book called Conversations with Nadia Bolanger I had the good fortune to be brought up by a remarkably intelligent mother She adored me. She had lost a child before I was born, so I was a miraculous new arrival. But she loved me enough to be dispassionate in her judgments. There was one thing she could not tolerate: lack of attention. From the first I grew up with this absolute attentiveness, which is vital to self-awareness. People seem to lack it now. With certain people there's such a force of concentration that everything becomes important. With others everything passes and is forgotten. They repeat their actions from day to day. Consequently, no evolution is possible. I would say that anyone who acts without paying attention to what she or he is doing is wasting her life. I'd go so far as to say that life is denied by lack of attention, whether it be to cleaning windows or trying to write a masterpiece or paying attention to your breath, I'll add. <laughs> There are people who shake hands like a dead fish. She's saying this, not very pleasant. Conversely, with some people, when some people shake your hand, you register an exchange. how brief however brief an extraordinary exchange between that person and you and both will die soon disappear or rather assume an unknown form 
Never forget that your days are blessed. You may know how to profit by them, or you may not, but they are blessed. I owe my greatest joys, as I imagine other people do, to those moments when I've seized what was given and experienced it not superficially, but profoundly. And so now let's take the refuges and precepts together. So you can maybe pass these out. And we'll chant them in Pali. Probably most of you are not unfamiliar with that. If it is unfamiliar for you and it seems a little daunting, it's actually there's a lot of repetition and it's uh, not so difficult. You have lots of support. (laughs) Is there anybody that would like to... uh, uh, take eight precepts this evening. Okay, so we'll just do five. And we'll chant them together. I won't be doing a call and response. We'll do it all together. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa buddham saranam gachami dhammam saranam gachami sangam saranam gachami Dutiampi Buddham Saranan Gachami Dutiampi Dhammam Saranan Gachami Dutiampi Sangam Saranan Gachami Tatiampi Buddham Saranan Gachami Tatiampi Dhammam Saranan Gachami Tiampi Sangam Saranan Gachami Panatipata Veramani Sikapadam Samadiami Adina Dana Veramani Sikapadam Samadiami 
Abrahmacharya Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Musavada Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Sura Mereya Majapamadatana Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami And at the bottom of the page Idam me silam maga palanyanasa pachayo o tu. And let's just sit silently for a few moments. A poem by David White. In this high place, it's as simple as this. Leave everything you know behind. Step toward the cold surface, say the old prayer of love, and open both arms. Those who come with empty hands will stare into the lake astonished. There in the cold light, reflecting pure snow, the true shape of your own face. Some few words from the writer Anais Nin. And then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And thank you for listening to the Dhamma.
we start early tomorrow morning. Not that early, really. <laughs> we'll have our first sit at 6.15. And um, at the end of that sit, every morning, we'll chant the Menta chant. And there are copies of it here. So maybe we'll put them out on the table and you can just pick it up on your way in in the morning or get one now if you wish. And again, we'll chant it in Pali. Uh, Some of you know it, some of you don't, but you'll have lots of support to learn it. It's not that difficult. It's a very beautiful chant. Good way to start the day. So I hope you all have a really good rest tonight. Some of you have traveled a long way to get here. Some of you not so far, but hope you sleep well and uh, drink lots of water in your days here to help adjust to the altitude if you're not used to it. Sometimes people, maybe Dave mentioned this, but sometimes if you're uh, coming from sea level or thereabouts, up to 7,000 feet where we are here. Uh, sometimes people don't sleep so well for a couple of days till the body adjusts. So if you don't sleep real well tonight, it's kind of natural in this adjustment few days here. You can always take a nap after lunch tomorrow if you need it. So I do hope you rest, whether you sleep or not. <laughs> See you in the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.